Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I welcome the co-founders of a new venture called Soccerhead. Gilda Doria is a two-time captain of Duke University's women's soccer team, where she was a 2011 NCAA D1 national finalist. She's also a 2016 Boston Breakers Reserves national champion. Her co-founder is Scott Baker, who is the head coach of Rowan University men's soccer. They met when Gilda was a youth player, and through the years came to the conclusion that the most common differentiator they saw in successful players was exposure to a vast network. Their mission is to ensure that access to resources isn't an advantage reserved for the fortunate few. By creating a community of enthusiasts and experts, they aim to foster future generations of players and fans of this beautiful game. Additionally, We talk about Gilda's time as a player through the youth ranks, Duke University, and as a professional. Coach Baker discusses college soccer and a little recruiting. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast, so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. So, Scott, you were just uh, in the same D3 playoff pod with uh, my sometime sidekick, uh, Justin Chesham, Christopher Newport, and you were talking about... um, we well, we were talking before we hit record, and we were talking about how it's very difficult to bring a kid in as a freshman and ask him to start winning games. In your case, as a men's coach, ask him to start winning games within, I don't know, within a week, basically, of, of you meeting yeah. them on campus and them being a college student. So, you know, talk about, you know, maybe overcoming some of those challenges as a uh, as a college soccer coach and, you know, how kids can best prepare themselves a little as they come in? Well, I think um, it's a, it's a great topic. And I think the first part of it is like uh, being a good human being as a coach and and almost every answer can start with that, but uh, getting players uh, for the right reasons that you think come in and are a good fit. um, Mm -hmm. That that's where it all has to start. And I think for the players, it's the same thing. Um, Not, not going to a program that it's, they're going to struggle at, um, whatever that is and whatever that means to them. So like if they're okay going through that freshman year and maybe not seeing the field as much, uh, but learning the system and, and transitioning into the college game, uh, then that works. But if it's going to be the type of situation where they're struggling and depressed and not happy because they're not on the field, then I think getting in front of that, which seems pretty simple, but most people don't do it is get in front of that and then go to a program where you can step in and do that. And, most players, um, if you talk to them and and they're being honest, know where they could go in and make an immediate impact or where they're going to go in and it's a little bit of a stretch. And either one is fine. I just think uh, coaches and players need to work together so that you paint that picture and then there's no surprises when you get there. And we're not trying to just get a player in. I know at Rowan, there's no way. You know, I clearly tell players like you're not you're not promised one second. You're not even really promised a position on the team and you got to fight for it. And um, I say that to kind of 
to take care of what you know what you just asked. Um, so they're not expecting too much, and their standards aren't too high for themselves. Right. Um, and then Gilda, you played at a power in a, at a power five school, and you know what was your what was your recruiting process like? And um, you know maybe talk about that first day that you like lead up from your recruiting process and talk about your first day that you reported to Duke and what that experience, what you remember of it, what that experience was like. Yeah, definitely. I I would say it was um, a very mysterious process. Even back then, I know a lot of parents and players kind of still talk about it today and hopefully what we try to support through soccer head, which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. later. Um, But yeah, I, I, I didn't know too much about, you know, what I was supposed to be doing in the recruiting process. Thankfully, through uh, my club, Team Boca, and the director of coaching there, Bill Daddio, and Scott Baker, who's on with us, um, he he helped me as a club coach, too, just kind of navigate the process. I knew a list of schools that I was interested in playing at. Uh, I knew that academics and soccer were really important for me. I was an absolute soccer head, crazy about the sport. Um, but it, it was difficult. I mean, my parents didn't know too much about the process. I think, you know, luckily I had some guidance from people and I was in the right place at the right time with that. I went through, you know, the ODP system, um, but it was difficult to navigate. And if, I think if it wasn't for those people that helped me navigate, I, I would have been a little bit lost. Um, but I did look at schools that would challenge me both academically and athletically. I think Duke was a great fit just from the perspective that um, they were kind of on the cusp of being a great program. They had made one national final back in 1992. I, I went into Duke in 2010. So the competitiveness of that was really important. Um, so yeah, it was it was tricky to navigate, but thankfully had the right resources with me to, to support. Right. And then, you know, what we were just talking about with Scott was, you know, that arrival on campus and, you know, what was that like for you and, you know, arriving with a lot of really good players and and how did you find your way to fitting in and and that sort of thing? Yeah, I I worked extremely hard uh, leading up into that preseason. I think stepping onto campus, uh, I felt a lot of confidence, um, you know, going into my play, into my fitness kind of controlling the controllables. But, you know, as soon as you step on, you go from being the best player in your state or the best player on your club team or your high school team, and you're just kind of an, another number on the team in terms of the level. Um, so it was a good fit for me. I came to practice every day, uh, ready to work hard. And I, I, I still remember like going into preseason and even throughout the season, I'd always take a nap before practice just because like I wanted to be performing at the absolute highest level I could be. Um, so it, for, for me personally, it was the right fit. Uh, you had to, you know, prove yourself every single day, you know, one bad game, couple bad games and you're losing your starting position. And that at different points in the season did happen to me throughout the four years. Um, and I always wiggled my way back, but I think it was, about showing up every day. And, you know, when you do break out of the starting lineup, like what are you doing to differentiate yourself and kind of earn your minutes back? Um, So I love the environment I was in. And I think that goes across the board at Division One, Division Two, Division Three level. Nothing's kind of guaranteed to you when you step onto campus. Right. Um, Talk about maybe real quick about, you know, maybe experiencing some lows when you were, 
like how you handled, you know, finding yourself out of the starting lineup <laughs> and then, you know, uh, <laughs> how, how you overcame that. Um, yeah, you yeah. should ask Scott after all the phone calls I, I buzzed <laughs> in with. Um, Don't worry, he's next. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was hard. I mean, you know, like I said, you go from being like a top player in your program to just another number, and it does hit your ego, and sometimes even you start doubting yourself. Um, but for me, what I always resorted back to when I was having, you know, those moments of doubt or difficulty or uh, I just got back on the field every single time, like Tuesdays was, were our hardest practices and they were long and very, very, uh, uh, tiring. And I think we practiced for three hours on Tuesday cause we played Thursday, Sunday, and I would go out early with our coach and, you know, practice free kicks or get my touches in. And I think even at the club level, that was really important with me, like training with Scott before practice or on the weekends. And, uh, I think that helped me because I didn't just get to the division one step onto campus and just become complacent. Uh, I was always trying to be the first one in last one out, um, and continuing to kind of improve my skills. So I, I don't know if my level of maturity was quite where it needed to be when I was in college. Um, but I would say when I didn't really know what to resort, I just kind of doubled down on continuing to work hard. Uh, I think reflecting back, even playing with the reserves for the Boston Breakers after school, I kind of, you know, stepped into a better mentality. I was enjoying the sport a lot more. And I think playing at a higher level than I was in college, just from that kind of combination. Uh, so if I could go back and do it again in those moments of doubt, you know, I would have stepped more into sessions with my sports psychologist or um, just find kind of confidence outside the field. But it did work for me and um, when I was there and kind of helped me kind of shift out of those difficult times. Right. So, Scott, I mean, you see kids all the time that you have to move out of the starting lineup um, for various reasons. I mean, how, how what's the typical response to that and like what's a great response from a player to help them get back in it. And it sounds like Gilda kind of figured it out, but um, from your guidance in a lot of ways, but talk about, you know, your current team and, and what you've experienced and what you've, you know, what your experience, what knowledge your experience has given you to, to direct kids to get the most out of their experience, I guess. So the, the first thing is, uh, so Gilda was just very different than just about everybody. I, I worked with um, up at, up till that time, and um, she just outworked so many people in training um, and the hours she put in around it, and that's what sets you up for the confidence. Where when you get knocked down, you know that you've put that training in, and and even as it comes out now for her, it's it's like you rely on your go to, which is working harder and um, and doubling down on the training. Uh, it's so so important. Um, I think on the coach's side of it. Um, I always tell the players not to expect more than what they've trained for. Um, you're usually going to come in a little bit under your training, not above it. So, um, you know, if you trained a couple days a week, you went on a run every once in a while and, you know, got on the ball every once in a while, you can't expect to be on one of the best teams in the country and starting and making an impact. It doesn't make sense. I, I always equate it to the players as like, you know, studying for a test. If, if you didn't study, you can't walk out mad because you didn't get 100. Um, but if you study for weeks and weeks and you put in that time, you could say, Hey, what's going on? Like I studied everything. I was prepared for this thing. Like 
I should at least get an A on it. Um, I think from a coach's standpoint, though, it's it's so important to to make the division of uh, here's who you are as a person, and I love you and I care about you either way. And then as a player, you're in a really good position um, to be able to enjoy this sport and play it. Um, but that doesn't mean everything goes your way. Um, it doesn't reflect on how me as a coach or the coaching staff or even your teammates feel about you. Um, and being a good person still comes first. So being a good teammate um, and playing through it and go get better because of it, like, you know, like Gilda was saying. So if we uh, put somebody else in a position and you're, you're uh, off for, for that time, or you lost your starting position, it's like, now's your time to go get better. It's like kind of a wake up call. Uh, so they have to grab that side of it. And I think as coaches, we have to grab that side of nothing's wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not in trouble. Like, you know, we still love you. We still care about you. It's just, you have to raise your level. So our team gets to a higher level. And when you're at a team like Gilda was on, or, you know, we were talking about like Christopher Newport or Rowan or these kind of teams, like you walk in knowing that, you know, that that's why they win. And I always tell people when I talk about a program, even at Rowan that wins, um, it's not necessarily a good thing um, unless you're going to train and prepare at that level. Uh, you're going to be let down a lot. So I think just balancing that on on both sides, and it goes back to that first question of like, you know, being accurate with the level that you actually want to train at and prepare for more so than just what you're capable of because people are usually more capable at a higher level than they're willing to train at, you know, and prepare for. So um Gilda, again, was one of the unique players that I've worked with that just worked at such a high level. Um, I just, I didn't have any doubt, even if she was stretching it for her level, that she put in the time and work that she would kind of figure it out somehow. Uh, but she just put in double, mm-hmm. triple the time that most of the other people did. So, um, and again, m- most players don't do that. Gilda, where did that come from? Uh, I, I think I just loved it. <laughs> I, I think it was, truly was an obsession and such a passion. Um, and I did, you know, start to notice that the more I trained, the better I was performing. And that becomes kind of an addiction. Um, but I will have to say that if I was putting two, three times the amount of work in, Scott, <laughs> Scott was usually there with me. So i very grateful for kind of the resources and support I had around around me. Um, my dad's super passionate about the game too. So that kind of support system definitely goes uh, a long way. Yeah, for sure. Um, Scott, what percentage of kids that you get into your program do you think like are, I don't know, I don't know if overachiever is the right word, but you know, kids who really, really want to, are passionate about it. And, you know, you just, you have to drag them off the field and and they're beating you there and turning on the lights and all that stuff. Um, how, what percentage of kids these days are, are, are in that situation, I guess. Uh, well, without, without being there sounding negative, I, I would say very, very few. I mean, you know, if I was going to guess a percentage, I, you know, it would just be a guess, but um, there, there's very, very few. And um, it depends on what level you're saying. So like there's um, there's players that do do that. Um, but if they're saying they like, want to go pro after college, you know, which people just throw that around. And I always look at them and say, like, do you really like, are you, you know, do you know what that takes? And do you know what 
what a professional player trains like and it could be twice a day and there's they're eating a certain way and they're you know not drinking and doing different things like that not drinking alcohol and things like that so um it, I, I think when you when you ask the percentage i would say very low for the level that they want to reach or the level that they think they can reach i would say it's many more just to be part of it than to be on a team uh, but again, most players want to start and they want to impact the team. And if you're on one of the best teams in the country, I always tell them like, you got to train to be the, the best player in the country in your position. Like you're, that is literally how you have to train and prepare, or we can't call ourselves one of the best teams in the country. If you're not training that way and you want to be part, you know, there's going to be a miss there. So um, depending on the level that we're specifically talking about, I would say, you know, some players do. A uh, very very small percentage actually train and work at the level they think their potential is, um, and and then actually achieve that. Very very few. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's I guess it's important to have people in your support circle, you know, early on that kind of instill that in you and make you realize how important that is. Um, sounds like Gilda, you had that with Scott and other coaches and your dad. So, um, I, I think one of the things too, like you asked cool. Gilda, so, but like she, Gilda, Gilda really did have the passion. Like that, that's what was different. Like I could push Gilda different because she loved it. There's other people that I was training that were very, very good, but we couldn't push in the same way because they would have hated it, you know? So I think just knowing who you are, like we're talking about this in soccer and sports, right. but you know, I, I ran, um, for many years, I didn't train like I did as a soccer player. I didn't have the passion for it. It was just something that I did. It was a hobby. So I think recognizing that um, as a coach on our side um, with your players and, and maybe even more important than that is the players for themselves is like, what level do you want to be pushed at? And somebody like Gilda it would have been like, I'll take more, let's do more, you know, whatever it takes kind of mentality. Um, but that fit her well. And that obviously doesn't fit everybody, you know? So um, that's what I say is like, you have to be a good person. You know, you, you have to understand yourself. It's not, if you're a good soccer player, you're a better person. That's not, that's not how it goes. You know, it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to get a better job. It doesn't mean any of those things. Right. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I had a question in my head and I just lost it. Um, I think cause I interrupted. That's why. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's old age, man. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's catching up. Um, no. Uh, so yeah, I, It'll dawn on me as soon as we start on something else, what I was going to ask. But um, so talk about, you know, you guys have started a venture called Soccerhead, and um, it's explain it to me so that our audience understands. And then, um, you know, maybe let's talk about how it would inspired you guys to, to go down that that road, so to speak. Yeah, I, I can kick off. Uh, so our, our big bet with Soccerhead is we're creating a soccer-only network. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's initial bets within that, which will focus on the talent identification process. But Scott and I, you know, we've been uh, connected for years, and we've had, you know, the player-coach relationship, uh, just friend relationship, business relationship. Now, now with Soccerhead, it feels like family and. Um, you know, we just see an opportunity to centralize the entire soccer community in one in one place with the passion and the connectivity that technology can bring. Um, so it's, you know, 
centralizing the love that we have for the game in one place, connecting with other people um, in one place. And we're really, really excited about the opportunity. I think, you know, if we could only answer what is soccer head in, in a, a few, a few words it we're creating the LinkedIn for soccer. So how can we bring the community in one place um, through connectivity and then allow them to have the resources they need to advance to the next level? Right. I, I um, think uh, I think it's important to uh, with, with this is like we talk about um, how, how Gilda was with training as a player. And um, I, I think one of the things with soccer head that we're looking for is the passion just for the love of the sport. So it could be a player. It could be an official. It could be a coach. It could just be a fan. I shouldn't even say just a fan because most people are fans. So uh, I think one of the things that that we want to provide is an opportunity like, you know, like Gilda was explaining, um, just for people who have that passion anywhere around the sport in any way that you're involved with it. And being a fan is a big part of that. And we want to provide that as well. Right. So describe like what you envision it being and, you know, how are you going to bring everyone together as a community within the soccer world? Definitely. And you can't, you know, be all things to all people at, at once. Um, so our, our initial bet is through the talent identification process. So I think one good way I could paint the picture, we could paint the picture is I'm, you know, Gilda Doria, sophomore in high school in South Florida, interested in a bunch of different collegiate programs. Uh, so I come in, you know, create my profile. It's a very 360 degree view of who I am. You understand my journey, what club teams I've played on, my accomplishments. There's a lot of video and media integrations. And then the same way I would search for a job at IBM as an adult, I go into the platform, search the different programs I have interest in. Uh, so for me, if I was a sophomore in high school, I would search Duke Women's Soccer. I land on Duke Women's Soccer's page. I learn about um, the different players on the team, their performance, upcoming games. And Coach Robbie Church could actually post an opening for a position for the class of 2026. So he says he's looking for a center midfield for the class of 2026. He posts his requirements. I can actually apply uh, to the program. And on the back end, the coach you know, gets an inbound uh, leads of different talent that match what he's looking for. And I think we're completely, you know, flipping the the recruiting process on its head. Right now, it's very much cast a wide net, hope something sticks, send a bunch of emails with contact information that you get from different recruiting services. And, you know, you know, cross your fingers and just wait and see if, if something matches. So here we're allowing players to take a lot of accountability and um, kind of be very, uh, take a lot of ownership on their journey, see what matches them, learn more about like network effects that are happening. Maybe someone who plays on my club team at Team Boca graduated from Duke Women's Soccer. I can connect with them in that way. So it's very much like, um, copy and paste kind of the effects that LinkedIn has, but apply in the soccer world. And that's kind of our initial bet. And then over time, we'll continue to add more layers to what the community looks like, the people, uh, what kind of use case they're looking. Maybe they're not looking to play in college. Maybe a collegiate player has a profile looking to play uh, at the professional level or a youth player is looking to connect into a youth academy but kind of the, the main news feed will be curated with exciting soccer information, videos, 
and you got to learn about other uh, players' profiles by searching for them the same way you would on, in kind of a LinkedIn system. Very cool. Um, Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Um, that was a that was a big chunk of it, especially. What do you mean you know, to put you on the spot? All right. to, no, I yeah. no, I know when to. Uh, yeah. I know when to let Gil the lead, but uh, no, that is it. And I, you know, on this side of it, uh, there's uh, th- there's a lot of uh, people doing it uh, in an inaccurate way. Um, it's ineffective, and uh, I see it as a as a college coach of you know the portal is such a big deal, and that that's filled with people that did it not wrong, but like it, it was ineffective. Like it wasn't the school for them. It wasn't the program mm-hmm. for them. Um, anytime I get a transfer, um, I talk to them all the time about what they didn't know and why it didn't work. And, you know, so I've been doing this for, you know, over 25 years of watching how players get in and what makes them happy. And, uh, you know, all those things that have to happen and, and putting um, all of that information into the technology that we'll have um will make it a uh, more enjoyable process definitely what gilda said i think it's so big and i think players don't understand it but it's their process and they have to own it and be responsible for it and um if a coach likes you that doesn't mean it's the right school and maybe a coach at first um doesn't know that or doesn't think you could play there and that doesn't mean that it's the wrong school either i mean that happened with with gilda and she fought through it and is a two-time captain at duke and got her masters there and that whole that whole um experience for her because she knew what she wanted and she stayed she stayed with it so i just see so many people uh and players not having that opportunity um because of the lack of information maybe some misdirection on what they think the process should be like uh definitely the, a lack of technology and and you know we'll have that to to provide and and give them a a better opportunity to to own their experience Right. And it, it kind of brings into the fold. It's kind of like casting a wider net, right? So that you, you are aware, you're aware as a recruit and the coaches are aware of you as the recruit, um, the opportunities that are out there based on need, right? Um, so yeah. it sounds like. So. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say casting a wider net, but like a casting a wider net that's you're educated on. So it's like if I'm searching yeah, yeah. for programs, it's based off a requirement and vice versa. Like obviously if there's 300 players that apply to the Duke women's soccer role, the coach is more educated, even with like the AI and the algorithms that we provide on the list of recommendations and uh, the, the types of players that they like to find will, will help through the platform really even democratize the talent ID process because maybe there's players that coaches haven't had their eyes on um, and, and vice versa. I, right. I think, uh, I think on yeah, both I mean, sides yeah. of it, uh, on both sides of it for, for players and coaches, um, when we say cast a, a, you know, a bigger net, um, we have to be careful of that, like almost like what Gilda was saying, because if I'm looking at seven players, I could give them the the time and attention that they need. And if they're looking at seven schools, um, they can do that as well. If this if this technology is in place um, without that, if they're looking at 30 and I'm looking at 300, you know, e- emails that are coming in from different sources and all over the place, uh, we don't 
we don't have the opportunity to do that. So uh, it's not necessarily the individuals or, you know, even like I'm saying, the players have to own it, but it's difficult if you're looking at Mm -hmm. 30 colleges at the same time, or, you know, you're just throwing it out there. We got to know a lot more about these schools and the programs and the majors and, and what it takes to be on that team and what the, you know, the daily routine looks like and does it work for you? And, you know, all these, all these little uh, details that, that, you know, college coaches would know. And it's like, let's put that forward and we can narrow that list down to a, a efficient list for the players and also a, an efficient list for the coaches to actually give everybody the attention that, that it needs to make the right decisions. Right. Yeah. I guess in my mind, when I say, go ahead, Gilda, sorry. Oh no, I was, I was just laughing. We, we do a lot of user interviews and we were interviewing a coach recently just on the platform and he said that a lot of the recruiting services, even now, they even he gets them in his inbox, he feels tired. And he said the prime example of why he feels so tired is um, a, a player emailed him and said, congrats on the start to a great season. Uh, like, you must be so proud of your team. And he looks at me on the call and he goes, we're 0-5. And I was just like, that's exactly what's wrong with the system. It's like these kids are and their families are you know, paying for these services just sending it, blasting it out, not really educating themselves if that's even a good fit. So like the quality of just the process has really deteriorated over time. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that many times on here that, you know, <laughs> you know, it's uh, someone's intending to send a, an email to Coach Baker and they put, you know, Coach Brown and that Coach Brown is at Washington State or something. You know, it's just like they send yeah. out so many emails that it gets Mm-hmm. gets mixed up and and they may not even you know they may be like what is a rowan you know i have no idea what that no, is no, or where that is you know they're still sending them an email yep yep they're just throwing so, it out there we get I'm that sure all the that time happens. yeah and it's hard for coaches like yeah. i really do try to do it when i see those mistakes is like just understand it you know i know, I know some college coaches like you know you have to make sure but you know we're we're not um you know, we're not being open enough to what the, the players are going through right now um, because I understand it. Like we get a ton of emails mm-hmm. that are also sending a ton of emails out. So if they make a mistake and get my name wrong or, or they say they want to go to uh, Marist and it's coming to Rowan, like I get it. You know, it's not we're not the only school they're looking at. Uh, but if we can make that process, like I said before, it's if we can make it more efficient, we can make it more effective and we can cut it down to a reasonable size that works for the coaches, that works for the players then we can right. really get that many more players. And then, you know, hopefully there's a lot less of a need for a portal, a quote unquote portal where players are just coming in and they're just right. wide open to just, you know, leaving the next year. And, you know, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the players and it doesn't help um, the, the programs or the coaches. Uh, so we, we have to find a better way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, I mean, these kids, they're making, such important decisions at that juncture in their lives and to not have done the homework on it. And, and, you know, to, to an extent that they end up in the transfer portal is um, it's just a testament to how the process, like you guys are saying is kind of deteriorating and um, on both sides. Right. Um, Yeah. I think that it's just, uh, it's something that, you know, is awesome that you guys are addressing. Scott, people are paying more. Go ahead, Scott. 
I was just going to say, people are paying more for this process. And supposedly, like, I mean, even since Gilda and I worked together as player coach, it's it's been years and years and years. And the, the process, if anything, I would say is probably way worse, you know, not not better. Um, so when we, mm-hmm. when we look at the players and we see some of these, the, these things are going wrong, I always have a soft spot for the players. Cause I get it. It's not that easy. And one of the things that we want to do with soccer head is give them the information where now we can say, okay, here is the information. And some of the details that are really important, not just somebody that's trying to sell you on something are now right in front of you where you can make, you know, where you can make those decisions of, you know, what, what's important about the location and how do you get there and how far is the airport and what, what's the, uh, the female to male ratio, you know, all these different things that, that, you know, a religion, um, all these things that could come in and people say like, yeah, I didn't like that. And I'm like, wow, like that's definitely something that should have been provided for you. But again, uh, it's not all on them. If, if that information isn't, isn't easy to get to. And, and that's definitely one of the things that, we want to make sure that we do with with the technology of the app. Go ahead, Gilda. Yeah, no, Scott rudely <laughs> I think Scott was kind of hitting on it. It's just it goes far beyond like what's on the field. It's also the academics, the overall experience. Like, I think kids getting into the transfer portal, maybe it doesn't always have to deal with the team. It has to deal with kind of what they're experiencing and. Um, we just hope to better support that. I'll never forget even one of my teammates, she came to Duke thinking she could be a nurse in undergrad and you can't, you can only take pre-med classes because it's a liberal arts school. So she ended up having to go to nursing school after she graduated and she was on a full ride. So like talk about a headache. And that was just, you know, just from an experience of lack of education going into it, it's not her fault. She, it was just kind of hard to navigate and hard to see. So uh, we hope to even make that process better through through what we're providing. I, I think yeah. I think um, I, I just want to add it's it's super important to know that uh, we're talking about a sport and we're talking about soccer and and we have to make sure that that works and it's it's a priority and it's important. But the priority, the ultimate priority, is all of these college programs are an part of an academic institution. And that is why you go to an academic institution and, and then all the things that go within that academic institution and sports are maybe a big part of it, but just a part of it. You know, there's other things of, of, of course, the academics and the majors, but the the type of campus and where it is and all the other things that are available with, with colleges, um, especially today with, with everything that's um, available to the, to the student athletes. So, um, we also don't want to forget that this isn't geared only around soccer. And there are a lot of people that transfer outside of reasons on the field. Yeah. I, um, I've had the, uh, Gilda, I don't, well, either one of you actually, um, I had the, one of the co-founders of Morgan's message on, um, which from, from Duke, um, And they're on a lot of campuses, Scott. I don't know if they're on Rowan or not, but uh, basically it was founded because there was a lacrosse female lacrosse player at Duke who um, ended her life because, well, ultimately, she I, I believe she felt isolated, you know, after an injury, and um, and I think that like when you talk about what you guys are doing, you're you're stacking the deck in your favor rather than being on a campus and finding a wrong fit and being isolated and um you know the generation that we're talking about right now is you know they've they've had a lot to deal with and Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's easy for us or for me as an old guy to say, oh, come on, you know, but that's just, I mean, I can't relate to what kids, you know, I have kids who are in their twenties and, and I don't, it's hard to understand what they're going through. Um, and so like just giving them the tools like you guys are talking about so that they can make an intentional, well-directed decision mm-hmm. is, is super huge for, for this upcoming generation I, and I think so, generations so, to come really. Sometimes just that, um, that open communication, right. With all these things with, you know, with anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, an alienation, just being able to reach out and having, mm-hmm. um, a, a platform that provides that of, you know, of talking that through. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, in the beginning, it's like, um, with a lot of student athletes, like it's not just about your performance on the field. Like maybe your performance on the field isn't great right now, but life's still good and life's okay. You know, it's making sure that we, have the true priorities in line um, is important. But I think mm-hmm. a platform like this with everybody that's going through it that are closer to our age, closer to Gilda's age or younger, all being able to communicate in a healthy way will, would be a, a real good thing right now. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it's awesome to see what Morgan's message is doing, especially just honoring her life and I think one thing we want the platform to do, it's providing a service, like we're facilitating these connections. And I think sometimes, uh, just like anything in life, when you're talking to a coach or talking to different programs, they obviously want to sell you on it, that it's a great fit for you. Um, But I think one thing that will be super powerful through our platform is just the network connections and the network effects. Like what better way to get information and learn about a program than to connect with someone who's currently in the program or to connect with someone who's graduated, learn about like what kind of culture the team has, the environment, what is it like to play at that school? What is it like to be a a student at the school? Um, And I think, you know, for one reason or another, these different organizations that are out there providing these services, they've, they've provided too many layers, uh, and not provide a direct access to just the information. And I think the best way to get this information is from people who have been through the experience. And I think that's what even what LinkedIn does so well. It's like, you want to go work at Google or you want to go work at Microsoft. And what do you do? You go reach out to people who currently work there, who have worked there and you have conversations with them. What's the experience like? What, what should I expect going in? How can I best prepare And I don't know why, and Scott and I talk about it a lot, like we have these networks in our social lives, we have these networks in our professional lives, but we don't have these networks in our athletic lives. And um, why not bring this to, you know, the number one sport in the world, one of the most powerful sports in the world and allow people to have these opportunities to share with one another and make these connections and have these types of conversations. Yeah, it's a great concept. so when are you guys uh, going to be ready to deliver this to the public? <laughs> we're in, start we're, yeah, we're in the works right now. Uh, we're targeting uh, middle of next year for for um, mm-hmm. kind of a go live date, but working very hard, having a lot of different user interviews, testing, uh, getting as much feedback as we can and talking to different um, organizations. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for something uh, later in the year next year. Cool. Um, what else do you guys have to add about Soccer Head or, or you know, anything in general for that matter? 
Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're talking a lot about like the, the start of it and uh, <laughs> so much mm-hmm. faster than you, Gilda. Um, I, uh, I think the, the, the future of the platform, the future uh, of, of what we can provide is so much more than we're, we're talking about today. Um, and Gilda and I have been mm-hmm. talking about it over a year now. Um, but to try to get it through in one conversation is, is difficult, but I, but we do want it to be, um, a, you know, a, a main site, uh, or a main platform, uh, to, to bring soccer people together, soccer heads together, um, and more so than just the mm-hmm. players, although that's super important. And we're talking about all the reasons why, um, there are more, uh, parts of the sport that, that we want to bring in, um, internationally and, you know, the, the national teams and the world cups and the big tournaments and, um, you know, professional players. And, uh, then again, going all the way down to, to fans and how to follow and how to support a team and how to, you know, get on and be able to keep up with schedules that might not be in this country or that might be in this country. Um, seeing when they're televised and officials and, you know, getting jobs and, you know, that again, it's, uh, you know, the LinkedIn soccer. So I think those other things that are maybe difficult to touch on now um, are something that is definitely worth mentioning because I think it's going to be part of the future. Yeah. And if I, and I would just add, um, I, I think if the platform does nothing else, I just want, and I know Scott, we talk about it all the time. We just want people to enjoy the game. Like let's take out the noise of, you know, different things that, even younger kids need to focus on. They just need to focus on, you know, getting better, developing their skills, really enjoying the game. And these like very difficult, intricate processes, even in the talent ID process, like we need to remove the friction out of uh, the experience for these kids. Cause I can't tell you how many times I get on the phone doing these user interviews and, you know, a, a child will say like, it's too difficult. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. I really love it. But like the process is so difficult and forget soccer. Like we keep talking about, these are pathways to a better life, a better education, opening new doors. And, you know, if we can help with that experience, even a little bit, I think that will be an absolute win. And to Scott's point in terms of the vision of where this can go, um, it's going to be really special. I went with my dad last weekend to uh, Copa Libertadores, the final in Brazil, and just seeing the passion, the excitement, and the how people love to connect and kind of experience the game together. If we can help facilitate more of those connections through technology, uh, I think it's going to be really, really exciting and, and super special for the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's so many layers to it to what you guys are doing. Um, it's I can't wait to see what what happens and would hope to have you guys on again um, as you guys get closer to launching. Um, yeah, I mean, keep us updated and and uh, I can't thank you enough for for coming on here. Thanks so much, Scott. Yeah, so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you both, Scott. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Um, so th- thank you very much. It's great yeah. meeting you, and hopefully we'll see each other at uh, one of the fields um, maybe next year. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. 
Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.